Welcome to Growth Island, your go-to podcast on how to be the best version of yourself. Now, let's join your host, Mess Freeze, as he interviews high performers and experts in nutrition, meditation, exercise, relationships, business, general health, and life's bigger mysteries. Welcome to this episode of Growth Island. My name is Mass Fries, and I got the pleasure always to host you. Today, I got a communication expert on. It's Nancy Dörte. She's a communication expert who's been featured all of the big places, but just to name a few, Time Magazine, Forbes, Fast Company, Wired, Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Her company, Dörte Inc., I'm still not pronouncing it right, is a global leader uh, when it comes to communication. And she's also written six books, five, which has won awards. And mm-hmm. she's done a TED Talk, which has more than 3 million views on TEDx side and like 800,000 views as well on YouTube. And in general, her stuff is getting a ton of exposure when uh, you go to YouTube as well. So I'm, I'm pretty proud to have Nancy on. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. It is. And so Nancy, we already spoke a few minutes and some guests are just more pleasant to speak to than others. And I can already feel you. <laughs> you're one of the easier to talk, well, which is also I, good. I hope I fall in that category. <laughs> my husband is like, my husband's like, you know, it's other people who think you're a communication expert because when you talk to me, it's a little blurry. <laughs> so hopefully I'll be clear. It's always easier outside the home. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that true? So how did you get into uh, such a big focus on communication? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I did go, uh, I only have a year of college and I, when I took speech communication in college, I got a C minus and I got a D in English and now I write books in English about speech communication. Um, I, I was always comfortable public speaking. I did some traveling in, in, in high school and kind of traveled and spoke and really enjoyed it. Um, but it wasn't until, um, the business started to get niched in presentations. So we actually, Apple was our biggest, biggest client for years. And they were the, people don't realize Apple was the first company to hook up a projector to a computer at the scale of a conference. And it was a really big deal, a really big day. And so because the uh, presentations is such a big part of their marketing strategy, we were, we've been their go-to presentation company for 33 years and 34 years now. And so because, uh, people would leave Apple or the Silicon Valley grew it. We just kind of spread like little beautiful seeds all across the Silicon Valley. And um, we focused on presentation just as a niche, which no other company had done that at that time. And so then by 2008, we'd been in business for 20 years. And that was when I wrote my first book where I was like, I guess I am the defining expert in doing this, you know, after doing it for the biggest brands in the world for 20 years. So that's kind of, uh, one of my employees said it best, and I've kind of ripped this phrase off from him, is that presentations found me, yeah. you know, and, and, and then I just loved them when, when they were so reviled and everyone hated presentations and we just kept loving them and loving them and, um, and making them great and setting an example to the world of what a great communicator and a great presentation looks like. And presentations are so powerful. So you mentioned Apple. Did you get a chance to work with the big Steve Jobs on any of the presentations? <laughs> well, we can't talk. Actually, I can mention now that they're a client, but we can't talk about the work that we okay. do for them. Sure. Yeah, sadly. But yeah. I wish we could, but we don't get to talk about it. Fully fair. But you, in your yeah. TED Talk, you actually analyze one of his talks and yeah, explain like why he is such a good communicator. Can you tell yeah. me a bit more about that model? 
Yeah. So actually, I've transcribed everything that Steve Jobs ever publicly said, and I've studied it and studied it. So I have um, all kinds of insights about how he showed up. But um, yeah, what's interesting is I, I, I know there's, and you know, that there's a difference between a speech and a story, but yet great speeches. I have a book called The 100 Greatest Speeches of All Time. And great speeches had some kind of a rhythm or a cadence to it. And storytelling, the thing we love about it is there's this rise and fall. And it's like this rise of tension and then the cathartic release of that tension. So I knew that the greatest speeches had that rhythm and that cadence to it. And I wanted to figure it out. And because I love math so much and I love visualizing data and I love visualizing I, I spent three years studying story because I knew I would find the answer in story. And it was definitely that cathartic rise and fall. And so um, after studying all the greatest speeches, I, I found this shape. And it, uh, you know, for those listening, it kind of, it, it's a, um, kind of looks like a, um, a Halloween pumpkin. You know, I don't know, like the teeth. It's like this up and down motion. And it's this contrast. It uses contrast between what is and what could be. And so using that contrast, figuring out that shape, the first thing I did is I thought, if this shape is true, it should work for the, a great speech by Dr. Martin Luther King and a great business speech by Steve Jobs. So I sat down right away and analyzed those speeches to this form and it worked. Um, I, I, I'm not a digital native. So for Steve Jobs's speech, I literally used um, quarter inch graph paper. And if, if I unroll it, it's about 20 feet long, all written out by hand. <laughs> I figured out how to do it in Excel now um, to, to just do word count and time and stuff. But it was fun. It was fun to actually analyze. It's like a, it's like a beautiful scrolled up thing. I've, I've kept all my analysis from that. Uh, That's fascinating. So you mentioned 100 of the best speeches. What are like mm -hmm. the top three? Oh, well, it's loaded. It goes all the way back to like St. Augustine, Mother Teresa. Um, and your what was interesting, uh, my personal top three in that book, I love Churchill. Um, um, you know who I actually, there's a lot, there's not a lot of women that you, that have a long history to analyze. So I did love the um, Mother Teresa. One of my favorite speeches is by Evita Perón, who in the 40s was declared as the most powerful woman in the Western Hemisphere. But her speeches have never been, and have still never been that I know of, translated from Spanish to English. So even though, you know, it's Argentina and she's a little bit on the controversial side, I, I think she does speeches at the scale and with the same kind of language and rhetorical devices that Dr. King did. I think her speeches are stunning, but they're not celebrated. So it's really weird. She actually had one of the largest gatherings in history, but it's not even in Wikipedia, you know, cause she's this uncelebrated um, communicator. So I would say that's one of my favorites. So if I, really can I me. find that speech and do Google translate or I'm gonna lose too much of the context? You should be able to find one. My favorite one was the speech she gave in May in the plaza, in the playa. Um, and uh, it, it, yeah, and the, the audience started to chant for her to run for the vice president of the country. Like two million people gathered momentum and started, and she starts a dialogue over the balcony 
with 2 million people. And she's explaining them, no, no, you know, no, no, I'm not running. She had to even do a renunciation speech uh, nine days later, trying to convince the country that she's not running for office. So I don't know, in the 40s, for 2 million people to chant for a woman to be into a position of power. That's <laughs> Gotta love incredible. that, right? It's incredible. I really love that one, yeah. I need to do a video about that one. I really, I have it already. I just don't make the videos about it. I need to do that. That would be interesting to see. Mm. What are some of the top tips for good presentations? Yeah, I love that question. I, um, the top tips I think are first, uh, you, you, you need to work on your story outside of the slides. I think people are like, oh, I'm going to present. I'm going to go launch PowerPoint. Well, there's this whole lot of, I wouldn't say that PowerPoint, Keynote, Google Slides, those weren't made to be this innovative, creative place where you think outside of the box, right? It's this very linear, make a slide, add a slide, add another slide. It's very chronological, very linear. So I would say the first thing is you need to work on your story and your narrative and whatever is your best writing way, whether it's typing it out in prose, working in outline form, putting stickies on the wall, whatever it is, I would say just Think for a little while before you open up whatever tool you use to make your slides in. Um, and then the other thing is, is sometimes it's hard to be clever. You get in your own head and you're like, oh, I really want this to resonate. I really want it to be clever. Host a brainstorm. Ask some of your funniest, most clever, most knowledgeable friends. Say, hey, I'm stuck right here and here. This is the most important part of my whole talk. Will you come and do an out-of-the-box brainstorm with me and really help me think of a clever way to communicate this? But people will leave the room and be like, oh, my God, my mind is blown because I get what they're trying to say. So include others in that creative process that have these kind of um, creative juices. And then I would say my third tip is to work with a coach. I don't care how good you are. Like I'm actually a pretty good presenter. My coaches work with me. Like I have a coach and what she'll do is I'll, I'll deliver it. And she'll be like, you know, you look like a duck right there <laughs> or whatever. Like she's just really like but the big thing is like, Nancy, okay. If you flip the order of these two things and you pause right here, you get applause. Like, so what would happen is we do these vision meetings every January, right? And I think we're sharing so much good news. The place should be roaring and clapping. And I'm like, we never get a clap. And she goes, well, I'm in that audience. And the reason we don't clap is you just keep, you keep plowing. And so it was so funny. I rehearsed, rehearsed, worked with her, worked with her. And we did our vision talk that year. And um, we went 10 minutes over because there was so much applause. I mean, same format, same kind of material, but she just, she just taught me how to set it up and release it in a different way. And I, and I wasn't looking for applause. I just thought, how am I not gauging the emotional reaction of the people in the audience properly that I would, if I was in the audience, I'd want to clap. And, and then she said, I did want to clap, but you don't let us. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so working with a coach is always really good. Makes sense. Yeah. Those famous pauses that are so powerful in all exactly. the all speeches. Yeah, and you know, we were talking about Dr. King before we um, hopped on here, and he, he was he did these pauses that were just so powerful, and 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 they give you enough time to tweet. Like if you pause long enough in the middle of your talk, people can like, oh, I, oh, they paused. It's like punctuation. They pick up their phone and they'll tweet what you said. It's it's kind of interesting what pauses can do. Um, so. Yeah. yeah, I like your point as well about coaches. So yeah. I've always presented a lot and then I work as well um, two weeks a year on something called Camp True North, which is hmm. a personal development camp for youth. 
so like 14 nice. to 19 and it's just so rewarding because oh, I love you that. see these kids totally transform in five days it's like my heart melts i normally don't get uh -oh. that emotional but uh i gotta say it's hard to keep the tears away on day five when you see uh -oh. how some of these kids change. but one of the guys there they care a lot about um, uh, facilitators and how you present and a guy called henrik he is so skilled when it comes to technique and the words that you use so wow. like we're having a lot of training and he can like take one like your sentence and how he changes it up and those small things yeah. it's just like wow it, it, it makes a difference yeah especially if the coaches like our coaches are part story coach part delivery coach yeah. you know and it's the eye contact and i was pacing too much or you know all those things and it, it's more than finesse it, it 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 helps your credibility and it and how you show up as an expert so yeah. Yeah, it's really powerful. I also know other people that had um, semi-comedian uh, come out, watch their talk, write down notes and come with suggestions to make it more fun. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of puzzled sometimes that people don't put more effort into their talks. Yeah, I, I hired that. a guy who was a comedian and then um, and he fired me. <laughs> <laughs> he fired you? He had, like, he you. Like a, well, I was like, yeah, you know, help me make this more funny or whatever. And then he's like, you know what, Mike, he has a little bevy of comedians. And he's like, you know what, my, my comedians feel like they are powerful storytellers and they've decided they don't want to make your platform funny anymore because they, they would love to be you and they're not you. And so they don't, you know, they have to work harder on their craft than I do. And I'm like, oh, is that right? Okay. <laughs> I'll find somebody else. I mean, I'm not super funny, um, but th there's that. And my team was so busy. So now I, I have my team do it now. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't because of um, me. It was more because they, um, they wanted to have a career where they make gobs of money being a comedian. Yeah. Um, and they didn't have that. And they felt like them making, helping me be more successful graded against what they That's wanted crazy. to do with their life. I know it was kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't mind it. I mean, it stung. I'm like, oh, that, oh, what? Oh, yeah. but yeah, I don't know why, I don't know why I brought that up. <laughs> but it's one of, um, I think it's funny because I was talking to a guy <laughs> earlier today uh, and he used to do copywriting for other uh -huh. people. And it's the best way to like move up a steward for other people and get paid for doing that and see how yeah. they're succeeding. And then you can do your then own stuff as well, right? I tell you that's, yeah, you find patterns in what they did and then you can become as successful yourself. I agree. Yeah. I and agree. the market is big enough. Like, oh, <laughs> that's what I have to want to like Endless, endless. The market's huge. Yeah. And it is for most things. I've, uh, like It's very, very few places where the market is too small, that there's not room. Yeah. Same in the health space. There's so many people competing against each other. Like um, the biohacking space, which is like, it's such a small niche. Don't compete. Help each other make it bigger so that yeah. more people think it's smart instead of like having like yeah. small wars. Claw each other. Yeah. 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 It's, um, but it's an That's approach. That's what I do. I mentor people. I mentor, I mentor people who have their own presentation companies. Like I'm just like, there's so many people that need to change and we're going to get there faster if we're all helping pull in the same direction. Yeah. yeah. I fully agree. But it's very much mm -hmm. mindset, whether you see people as competitors or collaborators. Yeah, yeah I agree. So mm -hmm. other tips for really good presentations that we can implement tomorrow? Um, tips to implement tomorrow. Um, that's a good question. Um, I think that um, there's a few things you could do. Um, there, one of them is, is always start with empathy, uh, which is 
take a small, take a walk in the people's shoes who we're talking to. Because sometimes our own agenda, our own content, our own information, we're trying to convey, we're caught up in our heads, we're caught up in our own world, and we're delivering material just from our own perspective. Mm. And if you walk in the shoes of your audience, even for a little bit, like what's on their mind? Like if you're talking to a company, like did you set your Google alerts a month ahead of time? So you understood the external pressure? Do you understand what kind of news, what kind of forces? Are you listening to their earnings calls? Do you really understand what they're going through? Do you understand what their strategy? Like, you know, take your mind off your own self and empathetically think about who you're talking to. Um, I think that's like the biggest one. Um, I think another tip is that people's slides create dissonance. Like I was just on a, a call yesterday, granted it was with a banker, but what happened was they'd be like, okay, go to the next slide, please. And there was probably 300 words on the slide. So, so I'm like, should I listen to him? Should I reach it? And then he'd blow past it, right? He'd do his verbal narrative of about a paragraph and then just keep blowing past it. So I was like, um, that looked like super interesting information on your deck. Would you mind sending it to me after? Because I'm like, why project that? So there's this dissonance where people can either listen to what you're saying or read what you're saying. And you shouldn't do both. So if you put a busy slide up there, sometimes sometimes it needs to stay intact sometimes, right? So if you do have to have a busy slide up there, just pause and say, hey, I want to give you a minute to just process what's up here and then let them process it. And then, and then maybe switch the screen to black and continue your verbal narrative. Um, so I think that that's a couple of tips people can leave and, and, and do from here. I saw that in consulting a lot that you yeah. had these like really heavy slides um, that it kind yeah. of like it, it's, um, it's showing that you have a lot of data behind it, but uh, I totally yeah. can lose the audience because- if Well, I'm those serious, are actually, yeah, slide docs, right? They're these dense, they're actually documents made as yeah. slides. And what we recommend for the consulting companies to do is they want the thud factor. So what they used to do is print out the decks and it would be a ream thick. It'd be 500, 200, 300. Well, they paid two, $3 million for the consulting. Yeah. So of course they, it needs to feel substantial. So they would print the deck one-sided and just kind of thud it in front of everyone. So it's like, oh, wow, this feels like two and a half million dollars worth of consulting, right? And so we recommend they create an appendix, put everything you want in the appendix, create a great like narrative, but in the front, Make a, make a three or five slide narrative, conceptual narrative about what's the content. So it's almost three parts. There's the front part that's conceptual and sticky that you verbally deliver. Let them read your executive summary that might be 10, 20 slides mm -hmm. and then stick the appendix in there. So it looks like you're smart, but don't include yeah. it. So, so people know that you've done your homework, uh, but don't, don't put it in, don't put it in there while you're presenting. Nope. Um, yeah. So I get it. I, I did. You worked at consultancies, huh? I was in Deloitte and I've like oh. many of my good friends in the different consultancies and I had training. Yeah. I was through my university. I was part of these case teams where we got sent around the world to represent my university. And we That's got training cool. in PCG, McKinsey and so on. So we learned how to make yeah. these really heavy slides. Yeah. <laughs> We've rebuilt I... all the templates and systems for the big brands. Yeah. yeah. But, but they now... still want their dense slides there. Yeah. I still see it where it's like, I see some consultancies are now making beautiful slides where they can tell the story. Um, but still, I get surprised about seeing some of those like heavy, heavy slides. And, and again, it needs like, to be an appendix, right? It needs to be called an appendix. It's a report. It needs to be proof. It's evident. Yeah, it's a report. Yeah, yeah. it's a report. And they need to treat it more like a report. Yeah. yeah. We're on the but, same page there. I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What are some of the common uh, mistakes that you see that are like classic mistakes that would be easy to correct? Yeah, I think it kind of mirrors 
some of what I just said. So one would be lack of empathy. They forgot to think about the audience and they set themselves up to be the hero of the room, right? It's like, oh, I'm well lit. I'm elevated on a stage above all these people. I'm talking a lot. Like you get so caught up in your head that you think you're the hero. And in reality, if, if you don't treat your audience as the hero, like they're the ones who are going to decide if they're going to adopt or reject your idea. And if everyone in the audience chooses to reject your idea, your idea dies. So you're really there in service of them. Like they're the hero of your idea because they're the ones who you want to have spread it and carry it. And if you don't communicate well, not cool. So um, I think empathy would be um, a big mistake and, and the dissonance. And then and then it's similar. I think, I think people think, oh, I'm good enough. I don't need a coach. So there's, you know, this concept of while you're working, you know, while you're working, while you're doing things, call, call a coach. Like everyone should have a like, who wants to be a millionaire, you know, call your coach, you know, you have a lifeline and you, and you call that lifeline um, when you have really critical um, things to do. So one of the things I think people don't do is um, stratify what they're communicating. And, you know, there's low stakes and high stakes. If you have something high stakes that needs to be communicated, you need to stop, pause, plan, think, like, don't just run into it having not done some framing, done some story arcing, and really empathetically thought about that person. So when it's high stakes, you got to go big. When it's lower stakes, you could be a little bit more like show up and riff and, you know, be a little bit more casual around it. But especially leaders today, so much of what comes out of our mouths high stakes. Like if I'm just kind of careless and I'm like, haha, I'd even make a joke. Somebody will be like, oh my gosh, Nancy believes that. Or what? like, we have to be so much more careful with what comes out of our mouths and, um, and so much more constrained. Um, yeah. So those are my tips for you. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what's your experience with people's attention span? Yeah, it's shrinking. Like, yeah. I think, I think the TikToks, the Instagram, all that, you know, it, it, back when Ted was first, Ted.com first came out and Ted starts to put up there all the talks they've done. It was interesting. Everyone's like, oh my God, an 18 minute talk. That is so novel, right? 18 minutes. If it's a great talk, I'll enjoy it. If it's not a great talk, I only wasted 18 minutes or whatever. But even Ted, like about six years ago, started to do the 18 classic. Then they did nine and they do six and they do three. Like, cause now even a bad 18 minute talk, nobody wants to sit through anymore. So I think, um, but it takes a long time. It takes a long time. Like, Ask me to talk for an hour, I'll do it. Ask me to do a really tight talk that's 18 minutes and you stop right on time. Like, I'll never forget, I was terrified. I'm the presentation lady, so I have to kill my presentation on TED.com, right? I remember like kind of taking the bow, looking up, and I mean, I had six seconds left on the clock and I was just like, holy cow, you're sweating. <laughs> it's just really hard. You're just like, oh my God, and your heart is racing. It's like high pressure, high stakes. I mean, a TED talk's a super high stakes. So you got to really put the the time and the energy into making what what's really important and what's really going to move the needle forward. You got to put your put some time into that. I definitely see that, like with TikToks and everything being shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. and it's rewiring. It's rewiring the brain. It's yeah. also, but it's also changing how we are then doing presentations. Like we need to, we because storytelling is one of the most powerful to, like tools to get people engaged. Mm -hmm. But not like it, you really gotta have the good story. Like the pauses yeah. really gotta be that you really gotta have the hooks quick. Otherwise, people are like losing attention. Of course, if they're like yeah. forced to be there in a room, they'll listen. 
But if you do presentations as well than you do for the internet, it really got to be fast. Yeah. And my, my son, actually, he spent time this week and he's like, well, let me walk you through the top YouTubers. Let me tell you why they're amazing. You know, it's just this like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a granny when I say that out loud, but um, it's a real magic to it. And that's the cool thing is these young people are becoming crisp, concise communicators. At least the creators are. But what about all the other people who now are only consuming these short, brief, quick, 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 can they sit and can they think for two hours and create a brilliant body of work? I don't know. Like time will tell as the brain science comes out and as, you know, society starts to see what, what's happening. I think the creators are a step ahead of the consumers of these tools. That makes sense. But, and they are extremely gifted or talented oh, or they work hard. Like, but it's also these people worked hard. Yeah. Just like people that are gaming all the time, if by like sitting and cutting. Oh, cut they work hard. They do. They do. I mean, it is hard work. And I think that's what's interesting. I should, I should go all up on TikTok and write a piece about, I learned how to present because I watch a bunch of TikTok videos. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's inspiring and terrifying all at the same time. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I, but I'm realizing also now that I'm, I'm trying to learn more about TikTok because it's such a growing medium. And yeah. it's a place that you can reach a lot of people and make an impact. But wow, yeah. people are fast at communicating messages. And I remember seeing some of those stuff. And also, I'm starting to evaluate things as well from like, okay, this could have been three TikToks of three minutes each instead of an hour because there was so right. much talk around that was not like so concise. And I remember one yeah. of the. And, yeah, on. they don't have the patience for that anymore. <laughs> no. But go ahead, what were you going to say? I had one guest on, a medical doctor, and see. It was only 20 minutes. It's one of the shortest podcast interviews that I had. But she was like a TikTok. Just like spilling. Like I think we made eight or nine uh, reels out of those 20 minutes. Nice. Where it was just like clear points, clear takeaways that you could take. I was like, wow. Like that many clear points that were just communicating in so few sentences. So sharp. That's um, awesome. Yeah, it, it is. Yet, I still, I still think we get a lot out of like some of the longer stories because those are the ones we remember more than just facts. So it's, it's yeah. a balance, right? You can tell a pretty clear story in a short TikTok though, but yes, True. I agree. Stories stick more than facts, yes. Yeah. What's something you wish you had known 10 years ago? Oh, man. I wish I was 30 and had the wisdom of today, right? Um, 30 years, 10 years ago, um, I wish I knew that, um, that I could let, let go of some of the responsibility of my company and that there are leaders out there who have the shoulder strength to carry it. And um, I wish I'd done that a lot sooner. I have an incredible executive team that's doing that now. So there's that. But I also think the thing I've learned in the last 10 years is the power of a coach, you know, as far as communicating goes, um, the power of, of, of coaching. Um, also 10 years ago, I don't know that I knew I would uh, be a prolific author that I, I did not know. I thought slideology was just like, oh my God, I got to get this book out. And I didn't realize I would, I would create more and more books and, uh, and that I enjoy it. That's the part that shocks me the most, I think. And um, I think that's what I wish I knew. That was a good thing. What do you think your answer would be in uh, if we if we fast forward ten years? Mm, what, what I wish I knew now. <laughs> I have these dreams of the future where I have 
not just two grandkids, but maybe six grandkids. <laughs> and that, and then I'm healthy enough to crawl all over the floor with them and play with them and, and enjoy them. Um, I think I'll look back at this time and I will see in my long history, um, this maybe might be my finest hour, oddly, and how I've been leading and how I showed up during the pandemic and um, some of the battles I had to deal with that nobody will ever know about, you know, and, and I'm really proud of that. And, and I do, I, I think it is one of my finest hours, oddly. And in 10 years, I might feel the same way. Nice. Huh? And what are some of the ways that you come, like, you got really far. So often I ask guests that are successful as you like, what do you think is the difference between you and some of the other people that had the same dreams, but didn't even get half as far? You know, it takes a lot of moxie. It takes a lot of determination to go far. I think the people that keep going have an altruistic motivation. What drives me every day is that I'm doing this on behalf of others. Like if the whole world became better communicators, would most of our problems go away? Probably. So what gets me going every day isn't the pursuit of success or the pursuit of money. It's the concept that maybe, just maybe within 10 years, I will have been able and the firm will have been able to transform a million lives. That would be a win. And that's what that looks like to me. Yeah. What do you do when you face some of the biggest challenges? Like, how do you like, do you sleep? You, you meditate, you go mm. for walks, you yeah. uh, have a coach, uh, you sit with family and so on. Like, what's your approach to? All of those things. Like I, um, I sleep, that's my superpower. I sleep when I was building the business and I had small kids, I got about four hours of sleep a night, but now I'm catching up because I get eight to nine hours every night. So I can rest, I can sleep through and my brain is processing, you know, anything that um, happened during the day. So I definitely sleep, definitely hike, definitely have a little Peloton. Um, so I, I do try to keep fit. And that is for the joy of being with my grandkids. Um, but the way that I kind of ground myself is I have, I take care of my soul, my spirit, you know, and I, I have a place that's like right here. It's just opposite my desk. It's got a really beautiful warm light. And I have my sacred texts and my scriptures. And every day I get up and contemplate, think, and try to try to be in a completely different modality than work. And, and that regrounds me and makes me think more expansively. And so that's a practice that I do too, to, to just kind of deal with, you know, life and, mm. and create meaning. And um, the other thing I do, uh, fortunately, I married the love of my life and we've been married 40, 42 years. And they say that's, the most, in, they say that's that? the most important decision for your happiness and your it life is. is really your partner. It is. And I think when you stay with someone, it means you really understand the meaning of love. You're really understanding the meaning of valuing each other's differences because we are opposites. And yet I feel like he brings incredible value to my life. You know, instead of competing, we compliment. And so I feel like that's a really big, um, really big decision that brings a lot of joy to me every day. Yeah. That's fantastic. He's a good guy. Yeah. Especially when you see so many relationships these days. In Denmark, it's more than 50% that are getting divorced. Yeah. Relationships have become disposable because people don't want to work out how they communicate. Like the intent is to stay in love and the intent is... People may still love each other, but they don't work through their differences and only in how they communicate. I think most of that stuff's salvageable, yeah. um, but it falls apart. Any tips on how to communicate better with your spouse? 
I mean, that's one of the cliffs that's going to be cut out. That's going to be the cliff. That'll be the biggest moment. You know what? I, I think a big one is, ne is never go to bed angry ever. Like you shouldn't sleep on your anger because your brain processes it. And sometimes I think it seats it deeper in your heart and um, always believe that the other's intent is for your good. Like, I think that's where it falls apart and try to make each other laugh every day, like yeah. every day. So I would say those are my three tips, those three tips good. for a healthy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny, you like, I found when I interview a lot of experts, people come to some of the same conclusions. Mm. Like everyone that got really oh. far have had a ton of challenges. Like the higher up you get, you just get more challenges because then you right. have more employees and uh, and more assets and so on. So you have different mm -hmm. challenges. Like there's no life without challenges. Um, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. 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 We crave people. one free. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we want a life free of challenges and there's no such thing. No, it's only dead people that don't have challenges, right? So it's about... <laughs> <laughs> So I don't I don't want to be without challenges, and I often I get I often get very grateful when I have challenges because I realize that I have caused challenges. And I was actually contemplating. Um, I think it was yesterday, but there was a bigger question. Uh, it might sound crazy, like many of us, are we actually in heaven? Because huh. um, if you think about it, a life would like you can't have a life only with good stuff because then you don't right. appreciate it, right? And even our mm -hmm. understanding of heaven is also heaven against hell fighting for something on earth right so so many mm -hmm. of us are so blessed with such a good life where we can have so much yeah. joy and so much abundance and we can put our energy like angels into doing something good so yeah. so many of us in the western world and other places are living if we choose to in what we yeah. actually define very much as yeah. heaven i agree i completely agree and i think there's a great book susan kane just released called bittersweet that's also it's also in the sorrow and in the pain that you're actually more alive almost you feel life more tenderly and it softens our hearts towards people that we can give to toward toward um toward a new way of being toward other people and yeah i think that's powerful i, I think we're very comfortable and we don't have a theology of suffering anymore because so much of the suffering's been removed and then you see the images you know from the war and and then sometimes there's shame almost in our own freedom from suffering and so it's very interesting it's a very philosophical um question there but we should rejoice in in our freedom from some sorrow yeah Back to communication, Nancy, while I have the chance to shoot some questions. What are some uh -huh. of the misunderstandings or things that experts are saying in the industry about communication that you wish were not said and be like, hey, this yeah. would be nice just to get clarified? Yeah, I think I think people have said presentations are ineffective, and I don't believe that for a minute. They blame like the tool or the format instead of having it be that the person just didn't plan. So a couple of the things that are happening, like I remember I spoke at South by Southwest and like all of a sudden, like a hundred people walked into the room and I'm like, what just happened? They're like, oh, someone tweeted you were interesting. So they all literally got up out of a session and left and came into an interesting session. And people do that with their feet at conferences now, but they do it digitally. Like they'll, they'll watch and put a bet and invest their time in something that's interesting. So I, I do think presentations are effective. I don't think they're ineffective. Um, I think some people, I know uh, like Jeff Bezos, there's Shel Sandler, different people have said, I ban this tool from our company. And, and, it, and then it went to the extreme. I, I, and I don't think banning it solves it. 
I think presentations are effective because when you can create a model or you can create a graphical way of explaining things, you see what I'm saying. And if someone can see what you're saying, they understand you. Mm. So taking away this way to visualize a memo or visualize anything um, is flawed. Like we had a guy who came from a multinational big company, was coming here to the Bay Area, high tech, uh, to ask for $100 million from the CEO of a multi-global, massive, massive company. And he's like, oh, hi, Duarte. Will you make five slides because I'm going to approach the CEO and ask for $100 million. And we're like, you're going to put a computer and five slides between you and the CEO instead of using eye contact and passion. And so what we did is we made three models. And we're like, just grab a piece of paper off his desk or run to the whiteboard and just draw and be animated and be excited. And he did it, did it, like learned how to draw these models, just like acted like it was impromptu and passionate, got the hundred million bucks. And he's like, oh my God, that was so fun. I'm going to open a purchase order with you guys. <laughs> so I guess the lesson there is like, you don't, 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 you don't, you don't have to be stuck in these slides and you can think, you know, you can use medium that's outside of just using slides. Um, and so I think that's, that's a op missed opportunity that yeah. people use. Definitely buy that. I mm -hmm. also find, so when I was doing, well, when I do pitching as well for startups, mm. you don't always use the slides when you meet with investors, but yeah. you use it as well to understand your own storyline and it makes it easier exactly. as well, like, because you work with it and then you get into the different pieces that are important for the person that you can read when you're sitting across with them, seeing like, mm -hmm. what are they interested in? And they might not want the 10 or 20 slides, they want three of them. But when you actually made the presentation as well, you manage to make the story, you manage to get the points yeah. out and make it clear and compelling where like these three points are important instead of your 10 points that you think are all equally important, but you get uh, pushed to like minimize it to like at least five and ideally like three to make it easy yeah. to remember, right? Um, that exercise is so powerful. Yeah, it aligns. Like it's so interesting because people think the pitch is really about getting ready to pitch, but it, I just worked with a company and they have a pitch tomorrow with a VC. So it's totally fine. Cause we've worked and worked and worked in massage. And they're like, God, this whole process of just writing a deck transformed the whole company, right? Mm. It brings clarity. It brings alignment. It brought so much value to them. And then the whole team rallied behind it. And um, that was as much value. Now let's see if they get the money, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to let you know if the money comes through or not, but it's powerful. It is. It is. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about what your company do and also what you take the most joy in doing these days. Oh, so you want to know what the company does? Is that what you said? Yeah. So um, our company is um, experts in the spoken word and in communication. So you could either work with us, which means we will write and produce visuals and get you ready for your beautiful staged gig, or you could learn from us. So you could learn from us in how we solve problems for the highest performing brands in the world. So we have a training business and a service business, and that's what the company does. And then <clears throat> your question about me was what? What do you prefer or like the most to do these days? What I like to do the most these days, you know, it's funny. I, um, you know, I'm a CEO, public speaker and author. So my life was crazy pre-COVID, like really crazy. I actually really enjoyed how much our lives powered down. So this morning I'm getting ready with my husband. I'm like, this is crazy. I don't like this. Like, I just don't like the speed that things are accelerating. So I, I, I enjoy alone time, not alone, but like meaningful time. And we're going to start pushing things off of our calendar again, nice. which is going to be fun. So the slowing down. <laughs> is one of the newfound uh, yeah. appreciations. 
so you slow down to speed up, right? If you can slow down enough to where it feels like you've stopped time, yeah. it feels like you've lengthened the day. It's this opposite thing. Like now when I spend time, I'm looking at my place or I do my kind of um, my more spiritual work. You think you're wasting time. Like a lot of people would say, I don't have enough time in my day to do that. But it's almost like when you do things like that, it kind of bends time. It gives you time back. Or maybe some of the obstacles or obstructions that would have happened in the day you avoid because you're not as careless. You're not as quick. You know, you're slow, you know, slow to speak and slow to anger. Like those kinds of things actually create more problems for you mm -hmm. than you realize. So I think that slowing down time is actually making me more time, oddly. Yeah. I believe more and more people are realizing that. I think so. Yeah. So tell me more about those habits. Like how oh, my now, habits? Yeah. Oh, and that uh, practice that you have? Yeah. So I like I literally so my main desk kind of faces this way. And then I have a whole nother desk and it's got my kind of my little sacred texts and like a little golden light, little I don't know, it's just my place where I'm in a completely different modality. And um, that's what I tell people that do anything creative. I say, you know, you've got your workspace where you do your email, you're doing your Excel, you're doing you know, all this stuff and you need a different place that you go where your brain knows, oh, I'm in a different place. This isn't my analytical thinking space. This is my dreaming, creative, soulful space, you know? And so that's kind of what I do is I just, I, I'm looking at it, lovingly looking at my space. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I do there. And it's just my morning practice of prayer and scripture reading. And it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Sounds yeah. amazing. I can see you lighting fully off just speaking about it. So that yeah, testifies to the value of it. Yeah. Time is flying, Nancy. I would love to have more hours speaking with you, but I know you uh, you have a lot of things to do as well. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I'm uh, on Twitter at Nancy Duarte and the company is at Duarte. I'm on LinkedIn pretty heavily and um, there's also a Duarte LinkedIn page there. I do connect to everyone who connects to me on LinkedIn uh, and I'm pretty active up there. So. Fantastic. I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. So people Thank can... you. And then you might get on... And Duarte.com too. Yeah, TikTok yes. maybe. I, I'm on Instagram, but I've never done a post. But um, yeah, so um, the company is on Instagram. Okay. I'll link to that as well. Yeah. I always end up asking three advice for living a happy, healthy, and meaningful life. You might have I mentioned some of it already. Yeah, I feel like I did. I think having a robust um, spiritual practice um take care of your body so you can climb around on the floor with your grandkids one day um but the biggest thing is did you love like i think when when we die you know if there's this place between heaven hell and earth and all that i think the one question that would be asked is did you love did you learn to love and that's what i i try to do i try to be generous in love um, and when you're giving love it creates meaning and happiness not only for yourself but Hopefully for the other ones too. Beautiful. Yeah. Nancy, thank you so much for your generous time here on the, the show. Yeah. I really Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Island. Be sure to subscribe for more episodes on how to be the best version of yourself. And if you found this show helpful, then please leave us a review so more people will learn about the podcast or share with a friend who can benefit from it too. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.